The Lean Braves reporting for duty, your source for fitness and food education with a noble purpose. Fasten your seatbelts and hold on to your carrots. You're listening to the Lean Braves radio show at theleanbraves.com. We are Avengers of Health. Welcome, Braves. I'm Ron Jones with Hugh Rhodes, 1967, the class of 1967 from La Sierra High uh, up in Carmichael, California. We're the Lean Braves, and we're talking about the La Sierra High PE program, the legendary physical education program in California that not only made California news and national news, but was world famous and uh, quite the gold standard PE program, according to President John F. Kennedy. So, Hugh, thanks for coming on today and speaking with us about your experience and what that meant to you, not only then, but the rest of your life into today. Uh, thank you, Ron. I'm really glad to be on this show to have this moment to reflect back on the fitness experience that I had then and how it applies now to my life. That Now that I'm over 60, in fact, I'm just one year older than the year I graduated. Uh, I'm 68 now. Great. So you... it's good to look back, and it's good to look forward, and thanks for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely, and this this is the first show that we've ever done with a Law Sierra alumni, so I'm pretty excited about that. We've done a couple shows with PE teachers today that are teaching the strength endurance routine, which was their calisthenic routine they did every day for people that aren't familiar with that, but... We haven't actually spoke to someone about their personal experience um, on our radio show. So we're going to pick your brain a little bit today about um, you know, what that meant to you at the time. And then you've, we've done a little bit of talking, of course, the last few weeks about how that really impacted you throughout the rest of your life. And now even looking forward into how it's going to help you um, age uh, better in the years to come. All right. Sounds good. So well, you did you, say. Oh, go ahead, no, Ron. I, I sorry, you were invited in off that word calisthenics, but go ahead. Okay, you were class of '67, so were you there the whole four years? Oh yeah. Okay. So even a little before that, because I lived about a block away from the high school, and even when I was in the sixth grade, I was going over to be a water boy for the varsity football team, and uh, that's when I got to know Stan Laprati, who was the coach of that team mm-hmm. and I learned a little bit about their fitness program just from being around it for a couple of years through junior high school. So I feel, I feel that I have had about six years of experience or association at least. Oh, the, and this, of course four during high school. Yeah, that's great because a lot of people ask us well, what kind of kids were feeding into La Sierra? So as a, as a local there, what was the buzz about La Sierra not being in high school, coming up in grade school, were people talking about that? Were the elementary and middle school PE teachers trying to get you ready, or was this just something you picked up on your own? That's a good question, Ed, because as you say it, I, I, uh, my recollection is that no, there wasn't really talk about it in the grammar school or the uh, junior high school. Hmm. I don't remember other kids knowing much, and I don't recall the PE teacher saying much about it. We did have some standards uh, in our physical education in junior high school and some testing, um, but I don't recall that it it was um, in the context of getting ready 
for La Sierra. Okay. Well, you know, the, the President's Fitness Council did have all that testing going on in the 60s, and that was pretty robust for some communities. Um, and we can we can speculate that the kids in general came in more prepared then. I mean, they didn't have the obesity rates in the 60s, and, and just from a from a movement standpoint, we were moving a lot more as a culture, so all that would have been would have been better. Something kind of interesting um, studying all this, you know, from a physical education standpoint, is a lot of PE teachers did not want to do law Sierra because if you know anything about PE, it was a lot of work, you know, from an administrative aspect. I mean, there was a lot of robust testing and the testing standards, and it wasn't a program for lazy PE teachers. So there was no, some. I imagine not. Yeah, we, <laughs> we actually um, got a hold of someone who did his uh, student teaching and internship under La Prade at La Sierra in the early 1960s. And when he went back to Bakersfield, and started teaching at a high school there, they point blank said, hey, we heard about what you guys were doing at La Sierra, and we don't want any of that here. They absolutely told them not to do it. And so it wasn't always like everybody wanted to do it. So I don't know, it's just kind of an interesting topic to look at. Um, so basically you picked that up on your own, just hanging out, being the water boy. Now you had some uh, observations about Leprati. A lot of people have asked us more personal information about him. What did you think of him? What kind of man was he, and how did he interact with uh, people? I have to say that he's one person that really stood out in my life. There were several. Mm -hmm. uh, when I say several, I'm putting him in a really high class because there have been lots of influential people and men in my life. But that guy had a quality about him that um, almost... Well, I'll say metaphorically, but it maybe even in fact made me want to stand up straighter. <laughs> it's like he just had this. Um, he wasn't a big guy, um, right? He was small, but he had these steel blue eyes and this voice and this tan, weathered face, and he had pride in in the way that he spoke and the way that he moved, and he had pride in voice. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the most uh, manly way. He, I, And to this day, I will on occasion find myself saying, tremendous. <laughs> That's the way he used to say it. Right. He, uh, well, he said that a lot. Before, so I don't know how I sound on the phone. But <laughs> I caught myself saying that to my son. Mm -hmm. You know, when they were little guys just doing some little thing, you know, and I said, tremendous. And and uh, it was Stan Laprati that was coming through. Just that uh, I know you can do it. You're doing great. Mm -hmm. It's a good effort. Keep it up. Um, and he was no nonsense. Right. He, he didn't have a silly side. Uh, mm -hmm. There was just a lot of integrity about him. And I can say that now looking back. I didn't know that as a kid. I was just sure. under the influence of him. But I missed him when he left. La Sierra was about the middle of my high school years, mm -hmm. and there was no one else there that had that quality. Not to disrespect, sure. there were great trainers and right. teachers in right. the PE department, and I and I, I dearly loved our football coach, oh, yeah. George Souza. He was a rock-solid man mm -hmm. of great integrity. But Stan Leprati had something really special, evidently, as we look back in time, 
that's because he was a very unusual guy. Yeah, know? in 1967, he was voted one of the top three fitness experts in the United States of America, and he, you know, he he received a lot of honors um, during and after La Sierra and. In the mid-'80s, he came back to Carmichael, and they had a dinner for him, and that's when he was honored with John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach with the JC mm. program. So that guy, he was one of the best. So, yeah, Laprati, he he was a unique person, and um, you know, I heard excellent things about Coach Susan and all the other coaches there. So, of course, that the, the, the staff there was second to none, as Laprati would have said. He thought he had the best PE staff in the country, and I would say he did. Um, but Laprati stood out. And uh, he definitely was a different type of a different type of leader, for sure. It makes me wonder what um, what uh, his history was like. You know, I never did know really where it came from, and I didn't know how great he was. Um, I think there's a lot of things that kids don't know about the adults in their lives, but even more so back then, we didn't have an internet. You couldn't look people right. up. To, People couldn't promote themselves the way they do now. And I didn't feel, in retrospect, as I look back at it, I had no sense of, um, uh, well, obviously, ego drives a, a lot of good things, and I'm sure he had one. Mm-hmm. We all do. Mm-hmm. But I di- it didn't feel, he did not feel like a self-serving guy. Uh, he really felt like... Um, he was in the service of all of us young guys, and that meant to be strong, to be demanding, mm-hmm. um, to be consistent, um, be unwavering in, in, in his commitments to our health. And uh, that we all seem to get. We got this guy, is he cares about us. Yeah. Well, this brings up a couple points. One... Uh... I'll say a couple things. One is uh, all for one, one for all, and then the noble purpose. So one of the things that came out of La Sierra is uh, this sense of uh, teamwork and pulling everybody up. Uh, that's not always the case in PE today, but so many of the alumni we have interviewed for the film talked about how everyone helped each other. And because one of the criticisms is, criticisms today is the ability grouping, and if, if for people that don't know what that was, you were grouped by your physical ability in terms of your, you know, ability to do push-ups and pull-ups and different types of things like that, mile run, and then based on your scores, you would be put into a, a group of similar ability people, or boys in this case, in those days. Um, but actually, that works really well. And we do that in math, and we do it in English, and we do it in other subjects, but uh, people look at PE a little bit differently today. So that, it on the, on the surface, it looks like, well, that would be just cause for a lot of hazing and... and the the kids less fit would be you know made fun of and stuff but um one of the guys we interviewed for the film who taught there did his phd on that topic and what he found is the kids were fine with it of course that was in the 60s things might change but anyway there was a sense of of group identity can you speak to that a little bit hugh and what you felt like as being part of that yeah um i think this whole ability grouping and group identity is an important subject um, first, we we all knew. I'm try, I was thinking about how we were told because clearly we were instructed in day one of our freshman year what La Sierra Physical Education was all about. 
And I think probably there was a buzz for the eighth graders coming in, you know, uh, something about it. They all kind of knew something. Uh, but what was implicit is that um, everybody starts as a white. Everybody wears white cotton shorts. Doesn't mean you're, there's anything bad or wrong with you. Mm -hmm. That's where we all start. Sure. Now, some people, guys who have been in sports or just generally come up a little more physically fit by nature, um, maybe come from uh, a, a physically active lifestyle, you know, working on on the farm or whatever. There were farm people still back then. Right. Um, and in fact, well, that's a sidebar, but farm kids were gen- generally tougher, stronger um, opponents in football than sure. like the, the city kids. And yeah. So, but we were somewhere in between rural and urban. We were a definitely us middle, middle class suburban mm-hmm. and uh, very classic, mostly white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mm-hmm. kids, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so that's a factor, I suppose. I don't know what to make of that. But when we started out, we all started as whites. Mm-hmm. And then it was, there was a desire right, to, to get into a, another color of shorts as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. So the testing started very early, I, probably after about a week. Mm-hmm. We were taught um, the various things we would be tested on, and then um, I don't really remember if it was a week or more. But I think it was quickly, a, it was about two weeks from what I read through, where they worked on form and technique, and then they started right into it to categorize everybody by abilities. Yeah, and so it took about it took a while, um, and your your um, research in this. Uh, would clarify just how long it took, but I I know that I became a red, which was the next color mm-hmm. category. Um, but the color category everyone wanted to be in or better was blue. Mm-hmm. The, the the school colors were blue and white, right. so they just established blue cotton as all right. When you're blue, you are physically fit. Mm-hmm. That was the message. Mm, okay. um, you're strong. You're capable and and it felt like it oh yeah uh, it wasn't easy to be a blue oh no that was a <laughs> from what i see from the standards that was a fair amount of work <laughs> yeah now you know for me i think i achieved blue after oh, maybe uh, for me because i was an athlete i grew up in a kind of a sports oriented family and i was always uh-huh. out playing so I had a little advantage, but I was also a skinny kid. Uh-huh. I grew tall. I was 6'2 as a freshman, but I probably weighed only 165 pounds. Oh, wow. And um, I added about 25 pounds of muscle during that high school. But then, you know, that's also attributable to, to increase in testosterone, testosterone sure. and just growing, you know. Sure. But I would say that, that you know, the the program at La Sierra really helped me to develop that. And getting from blue to the next level was a real challenge for me, and I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually stopped. I was a very good baseball player in my younger years, and I'm not advocating what I did, but 
by the time I was a sophomore, I changed. Instead of playing baseball in the spring, I went to track. Mm-hmm. And I went there specifically to train for football and to become stronger and more capable to be able to move up in the color ranking. Hmm. I... So, uh, and I did do that. I began to lift weights and, you know, um, in track your your time. Do you, sure. you know, if you throw a discus, there's a distance. If you jump over a bar, there's a height there. You run at a, you know, there's a certain amount of time. You're measured, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in you have to keep pushing yourself to improve those measures. The track was a very good model for uh, working on physical fitness, using performance measures and using methods to improve performance. And I think that's the fundamental uh, it, um, the experience of knowing what you can do and what you cannot yet do, believing that you will be able to do it, knowing how to train for it and training for it, and then achieving it, that the essence of that is the thing that I think kids are not learning today. Some learn it very well, but it isn't being taught. No, and this is and a... And if you don't learn this then, it's hard to learn it late in life. It is. It really forms your... Um philosophy of life. And that, interestingly, at La Sierra, they spent a lot of time talking about philosophy, and they actually wrote about philosophy of PE, which is rarer today in a high school PE program to actually talk about philosophy, but it's very, very important. And this goes back to Greek philosophy, because the the striving for excellence um, comes out of the Greek culture. And that, when we lose sight of that, which built Western civilization, we're in trouble. And so when I look around today at the physicality of, of youth and their lack of desire to improve, um, as a history person, I know that's a real problem. I spent some time up near La Sierra a couple years ago working with a high school there, and one of the one of the concerns the administrator had when he pulled me in his office before I uh, met with the PE teachers and the kids was, he didn't he didn't see the connection in the students um, to improving physically or being healthy at all in terms of the importance of living their lives and so that's a mm-hmm. as an adult we need to get that out on the radar that there's a real disconnect with kids today they don't know why this is important at all now what I've done when you were talking about being a blue level is uh, I pulled up the standards, so this might take you back a little bit to know that you actually <laughs> did this. But like to, to be a Navy, uh, not a Navy boo, but to be a blue at La Sierra High School in the mid-1960s, the minimum performance you had to do, which which was uh, as follows, pull-ups 14, 18 bar dips, 12 handstand push-ups. Now, the reason they went to handstand push-ups is because the regular push-ups, they were getting so many numbers it was too hard to count. Mm-hmm. Extension press ups fifteen. Now that was an extended arm position where you're pressing up in your fingertips, and they said one one out of thirty thousand boys could do those. And I, I we have film of loss here, the whole the whole gym doing them. So yeah, one trip core up the pegboard. Oh, huge core strength. One yeah. trip up the pegboard, which is pretty high vertical. Uh, two arm. Uh, hand hang a minute and 45 seconds, standing broad jump, seven foot three inches, a rope climb, which is a 20 foot rope from a sit start, hands only, you had to do. 
shuttle run of 300 yards in 52 seconds, a two-mile run you had to do in 16 minutes. That's two back-to-back eight-minute miles. And this is minimum performance to be a blue at La Sierra. You had to man lift and carry another boy within 10 pounds of your weight, 1,320 yards. You had to do an agility run, which had a lot of turning in it, in 19 seconds, and you had to do uh, 20 hanging sit-ups. And if you've... <laughs> If you've ever done a hanging <laughs> setup, one is pretty difficult. And then uh, before you moved up in group, you had to have a short trim haircut. <laughs> that that they I were, don't recall. Yeah. That was, <laughs> now, so you mentioned Leprati. You didn't, you didn't know where Leprati came from. And part of what La Sierra became in PE obviously came from his background. But he he was uh, went to school in California, and he was a World War II vet. He actually coached football for the U.S. Army, and he was mentored by Frank Griffin, who was one of the top wow. guys in the 30s and 40s. So Leprati had he had some real tutelage and and uh, training when he came into Los Sierra in 1956 to set up that program. Uh, at that time, that's when the school opened. So he got to set up the whole program from the ground up. Well, um, I, yeah, I imagine his military experience would lead to, you know, um, the haircut uh, yeah. standard. <laughs> well, a lot of we the... didn't really resist that until the late '60s with the whole hippie thing, sure. and it was, you know, and I actually kind of bridged from. This is an, a, important in some sense because while I was at, still at La Sierra, I was becoming familiar with what was happening mm-hmm. um, with the so-called hippies in, at, at, in California at the time, because my best friend's older brother was in San Francisco, going to San Francisco State. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so we were getting introduced to psychedelic rock and oh, all sure. these things, and, you know, all these long-haired people and all yeah. this stuff. And there was a little period of time where I kind of wondered, all right, well, how does this... Um, you know, this orientation to sports and fitness relate to all that. Um, but what I discovered is it didn't feel good to uh, give up on any amount of that, um, uh, the, the physical exertion and stuff. In other words, I stayed in football. I played it all the way mm-hmm. through high school. I I kept going even when I knew about Allen Ginsberg and right. the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that you could grow your hair long, and it didn't mean you weren't a man, and right. all these in, anti-war movement and uh, students for nonviolent court, all that stuff was happening mm-hmm. then, and you know people were taking sides, but there was, but I- any side I might want to take, uh, emotionally or um, or intellectually, never conflicted with what I wanted physiologically. Hmm. I always, I loved feeling my body, and I liked to have it really working. And there was nothing better than a really good exercise. I mean, when you get done and you're really depleted, but you're really satisfied, and you go and you rest, and you get up in the morning, you feel strong and awake mm-hmm. and clear. And and to this day, as liberal as I may be, and as you know, I studied philosophy in mm-hmm. college. I was an art student. I did all kinds of, you know, crazy video art things. Mm-hmm. I made a living in film and television, working in the arts. Right. right. But I never stopped going 
I never stopped wanting that feeling. And any time I let that go, mm-hmm. my life was not as good. Well, this is a nice— and Other yeah. things would slip. This is a nice bridge to go, uh, because it's it's cool to talk about the old stuff, but the, you have to bring it into the future, and or the present yeah. at least. And so it's a nice bridge, because um, what we found, you know, speaking with a lot of alumni, for the most part, they all stayed physically active their whole lives. They might not have been doing the vigorous calisthenics, but they stayed active. They kept golfing, or they kept hiking, or running, or cycling, or lifting weights, or or whatever they you know did, but um, for the most part, they never let that go, and that was that was your case. I mean, you kind of waned in and out a few times, as as happens in life, but you never completely let that go. And now, at your age, um, late sixties, you're you're very much into it. Can you can you speak of the, the the staying power of loss era? Because this is something that people don't understand today. When you talk about the importance of physical education, they just laugh it off because it has such a negative context. Um, with people, but real physical education, like it was taught at La Sierra, has staying power, and it really sets you on a path in life, um, not just physically, but also mentally. So, can you talk about that as someone who's lived through that for decades? Yeah, absolutely. As that, it's a, it's something that I've thought about through all this time as well. Mm-hmm. So, I have various ways of talking about it, but in the most simple sense, uh, what you just said is true. Uh, when you learn in those formative years, and I think that's the critical thing about it, those special, the years that you, I would say, as as boys and girls go into puberty and through high school, those are very critical years for them to learn about not intellectually about their bodies, but but to feel their bodies, to experience their bodies, mm-hmm. test their bodies to drive their bodies, to understand how adaptive their bodies are, to learn how to improve themselves in a variety of ways physiologically. Right. And people, it's, we emphasize so much beauty and money and power, we forget that down underneath that all, there's a body. Some people are lucky enough to have one that's attractive, mm-hmm. and some people are lucky enough to have great minds, and some people are love, lucky enough to be raised in, in circumstances where they strive to achieve in other areas besides physiology. But ultimately, and this is, this is jumping into my more uh, recent realization, I know this to be true, we are every single thing we do think and feel has a physiological, intellectual, and emotional component, Mm -hmm. more or less, but certainly always physiological. People say, well, you know, let's think about these monks. You know, they just go and they sit, and they do nothing but just meditate for day after supporting the universe with their, you know, expanded consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I I believe that's what, in fact, they do. Um, What's the physiological there? And I say, you can lead with spirit. You can lead with belief. You can lead with, with, with spiritual thoughts and, and experiences. You can lead with emotional stuff. You can lead with intellectual stuff. But every one of those things has a physiological correlate, specifically biochemical correlate. Well, it goes back and, to Greece and again. And you can measure that now. We have yeah. been measuring it for years. Right. Um, 
So re- you t- when you work on your body, mm-hmm. you're working on your biochemistry. Um, and so when I say work on your body, you're dealing with nutrition as well as exercise sure. and rest. Sure. Those are the three you say, obviously. you got to get all those things right. And when you do all those things right, you create a platform for success in life, a physiological platform. And if anyone wants to argue about it, just just think about this. There's nobody on this planet that doesn't have one of these things. <laughs> a body. Right. A body. Well, and, it... Now, there might be spirit, free-floating spirits that don't have bodies. I, I'm sure. all for that. I think that's true. But the point is, I'm one that came in a body, and everybody I know is one that came in a body. And what's that <laughs> body for? Right, and it goes you know? back to ancient Greece again. And if we Greece don't honor that, yeah. we're not... We're not we're like saying, well, you know, I'll take this part of the planet, but forget the deserts and the, you know, mountaintops that are cold and whatever. I mean, it's a whole earth, right? And it's a whole ecosystem. And we in our ourselves uh, ecosystem that has a physiological base. Right. We've got to take care of it. Well, that's kind of what the administrator told me up in Northern California. The kids are disconnected to that. But, you know, if it, it goes back to Greece again, because they believed in sound mind, sound body. You can't have one without the other, really, in, in terms of being efficient. So, um, and this is something that came out of the alumni interviews as well, because they talked about the mental set point that they got from the physical training and all the mental things that they learned about it. Um, yeah, they, they, you know, it was great to be fit and all that, but they, they spent a lot of time emphasizing the psychological component of what they learned in physical education, which I don't think people understand today because they see PE as, you know, just throwing the ball out and something no one wants to really do. But the kids were motivated to improve, and, and Laprati, he didn't do a lot of writing, but he, he did write the motivation factor, and then... Lossier was set up in motivation. It was an intrinsic motivation, not just extrinsic. The kids wanted to do it internally. And some of them would practice all summer on their own, and they'd go up to the school on their own. Because in those days, the school wasn't locked. you just go work on the equipment outside, you know. Um, That's right. Um, that, and, and I was fortunate because I was only a block away, and I could testify that, mm-hmm. yeah, we used to go out there run around and get up on the bars and, you know, do bar dips and pull-ups. And they didn't provide pegs, uh, you know, for like on the weekend right. stuff. But, but I you... got a couple of dowels and cut them and said, so <laughs> could fit. So we, could do and oh. we used to do the, the milking machine was the hardest one. I think everybody admits that one was just really hard. Yeah, that um, that was a contraption. But, but we with... would do it. Yeah. You know, kids try. They want. They want to go. They try it again. They just, they fall, and then mm-hmm. oh, who knows? A week or two goes by, but they go go back out and they get up and see see what it's like now. I think human everybody evolves. There's no such thing as, I mean, the one thing we know is constant is change. Right. And if change is becomes evolution, it's because some stress has, in a sense, forced a transformation. And this is the nature of life. So when we, when we learn to work with that mm-hmm. and, and, and not ex- just um, put our sights on external targets like, I'm going to be a millionaire, you know, and that's all, all. I'm just going to be a millionaire. And, or I'm going to be, uh, everybody's going to love me because I'm the best computer.
computer programmer in the class or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all fine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with striving for all, all kinds of different things. That's a good thing. But uh, ultimately, to deny that aspect of the body is really insane, really <laughs> actually insane. Well, it definitely make you insane, that's for sure. Now, uh, can you speak a little bit, you know, you're 68, and you're still feeding off Lossier and the physicality of that. As you move towards 70, how how... Is it still relevant? I mean, you know, people say, well, you know, that you shouldn't be doing this or that at that age. But I, I, from what I know about you, you're pretty pretty vigorously active. So how, how does that impact you now versus your peers as you look around? Because I know I'm 57, and I look around at people even a lot younger than me, and there's just no way they can do a moderate level yeah. of physical activity, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a sad, it's a sad fact that um, most people my age and maybe for a very long time ever since we started working more indoors with machines and less out with our bodies in any case um, there's this resignation mm-hmm. about age and the uh, and it comes from the experience you have physically mm-hmm. you don't have the kind of energy or endurance um, or strength that you had when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And we know that hormones decline, and, you know, certainly your growth hormone, and then, you know, testosterone. From, men don't even want to admit that, that their testosterone declines, but it, in fact, does. And, uh, and I have no problem with that fact because I know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And what I think La Sierra gave me was the desire to, push a little bit like I would go in my um, early 50s I really got back into it I never stopped going to the gym Mm -hmm. but when I was raising children and getting them up and through school and all that and had a heavy career demand right working in high tech you Mm -hmm. know I mean it was very hard to fit sure to get the physical fitness program in there but I couldn't go for more than a week or two without I just had to go to my temple and just, yeah. you know, sweat it out and feel my body. Right. And so I've been able to, you know, I've experienced it being in better shape and worse shape. I've experienced being in really bad shape mm-hmm. and then, you know, slowly getting into better shape and so on and so forth. Well, in my early 50s, as I began to move away from spending day and night with um, raising kids and and my job, mm-hmm. I started to emphasize more and more in the gym. And I, I had some emotional issues at the time. I was pretty troubled with mm-hmm. the nature of the whole dot-com crash and yeah, yeah. emphasis on my... A lot of stuff was going on for me. So I would go in and work it out in the gym. Mm-hmm. And I just started getting stronger. Mm. And what I realized is that um, as we grow old and we lose some of the uh, biochemical support that we have when we're younger, we we do still have the uh, ability to adapt and to improve ourselves even on that level. So now what's fun for me is to be at my age in the gym and having young guys come up and ask me how old I am. <laughs> and, you know, 
how often do I come to the gym? How long have I been coming to the gym? Right. And, you know, and I can honestly say, well, about a little over 50 years. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great message to give younger people today, you know? Yeah. Um, I hope, really dearly hope, though, that we bring back this realization and, and this desire to improve ourselves physically, mm-hmm. and not just so that we can look hot. Right. Although, you know, if that's what gets people started, that's fine. I know a lot of body, I do know bodybuilders, both male and female, I would say a lot, but that's a relative term. I know. And the ones that are really built, like that, you know, would fit the fitness model image that you see in muscle magazines or that, you know, you might see in CrossFit or Runner magazines, etc. Mm-hmm. They are nice people. Mm-hmm. They are like clear, grounded, good-hearted, somewhat humble people. Mm-hmm. And the re- the reason I want to emphasize humble is like any other sport. Although there's a lot of arrogant athletes, mm-hmm. they use arrogance these days more than ever. Right. But the thing you have to learn in sports is sometimes you're going to be you're going to be like really excelling, and sometimes you're going to fail. Right. And you have to get up and keep going. And same is true in the gym. There's always somebody who can lift more. Right. There's always somebody that can go harder and longer. Unless you're the world's best at something, which you might be, mm-hmm. there's always going to be someone better. And you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. And you begin to understand uh, that it's not, for example, how much you lift, but how you lift it, what's happening to your body at the moment. And if you get in touch with that and you work with that, you reach the right maximum for you. And it, over time, that maximum, those limits will change. And it's fun to change those limits. Right. It's fun to come in like after being kind of off through the holidays, you know, and yeah. you're kind of off your schedule and both in diet and exercise. And then you come back, ah, the workouts are not bad. The next one's worse. The next one's better than the first two. One after that's a little better. Then you kind of plateau. Then, wow. And then you come back and all of a sudden, man, I'm back up here. I'm back. Mm-hmm. I can do it all. And now I can do more. You talk- And then, so it's easy to criticize that, to think, well, that's just privilege. You're spending a lot of time and energy, you know, pushing your body so you can push your body more. What the, what, you know, how is that helping the world? Right. You know, what's that doing for your kids? Well, we what, know uh, we know from the research today it helps us think better and it helps it improve helps our cognitive function. It helps you be calm. Mo- like it helps you be more grounded emotionally and it more for me, more in my heart. Yeah, mood it enhancement. It might be yeah. seem like a contradiction. Did you see a guy straining with his veins popping out in the gym? The consequence of that is not to be more of a monster in life. Right. It's to be a gentleman. Yeah. You talked in the pre... A loving, strong man. Right, right. In the pre-show comments, you talked a little bit about the importance of uh, consistency. And that, if you think about the standards that La Sierra had and how hard the boys had to work at getting them and, and all the failures along the way and the setbacks... There is a real lesson there, I think, to, to consistently keep working and keep getting back up and keep 
you know, reaching higher. That's that Greek ideal, striving for excellence, you know. Well, consistency, I know, um, for me, um, is the number one principle to success in physical fitness. Mm -hmm. If you do not work out, if you do not, like, do whatever you do, it doesn't have to be at the gym, it could be out in your garage, it could be out on your track, it could be wherever in the mountains, but you have to do it, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't develop the um, desire and the ability to show up, it's never going to happen. Right, right. So what I, what I say to people, and I teach myself, I've learned, is on the worst day, when you really don't feel like it, mm -hmm. when you just are like you've had it, you're depressed, you've got no energy or whatever, you know, just go. Just do it. Because right. what's miraculous about that, oh, and there's so much to say here. I'm, I'm sorry we don't have more time, but I'm sure people don't want to spend more time listening. But we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. One way or another, this is coming out. When you show up, when you put your body in motion, whatever you were thinking, whatever you were feeling, whatever was stopping you starts to, like, drift away. Right. And what can show up, and I've had this happen miraculously many times, it's like, wow, I feel good. This is great, you know, uh, and I'm happy again. Right. And, and so it, it, we get so stuck in our intellectual, emotional morass mm -hmm. that, that – um, it can take us to really ridiculous places, and if we just show up and move, um, we can get out of that, and we can stay more uh, more on track to having a higher quality life. Oh, yeah. I, I just finished, uh, December 31st was 10 years straight of me exercising seven days a week, at least 30 minutes a day. And really? Boy, that's amazing. Yeah, I never missed that's a better. day. I mean, clearly better than my school. <laughs> <laughs> but... but the the point of that was um, I I by defining exercise I mean there was something intentional to me putting my body in motion and some days that was just going for a walk or playing frisbee with the kids or just doing some joint mobility in my living room because it was raining or whatever but I yeah, always okay. did something thirty minutes a day and I wasn't going hard every day but it's the only thing in my life that I can think about that had a hundred percent success rate I've never had anything that I've done that's been so successful because of those 3,500 plus days, I don't regret one of them. Not yeah. one 30-minute exercise session did I say, you know, I wish I hadn't done it. I can tell you a lot of them I didn't want to do them, and I just did it anyway. Like you said, I showed up, and then when I was done, it's like, well, I'm glad I at least did that. You mm -hmm. know, because I was, you know, working in uh, a technologically driven uh lifestyle as well, you know, commuting a lot, in meetings on the computer, and that was all I got physically all day was that. And so it was yeah. very, very important. So I think, you know, just showing up and doing something, even if it's soft, uh, doesn't always have to be hard. It, it does have a, a real benefit to it. I think I'd be dead. I don't think I'd be talking to you now if I hadn't, you know, well, shown up for 10 years. We wouldn't be talking if we didn't have this experience in common, and I, I'm so grateful that that um, you pursued this and that you got those films from the La Sierra and put them out online, and I'm grateful to Tony Asaro and whoever right. 
um, by way of which I was able to see this. And it was thrilling for me because uh, I, I, it gave me a moment to honor my own life, not because of me, mm-hmm. but because of the circumstances that were there. I, I thought to myself, this it's pretty amazing that I was at La Sierra at that time. Right. And um, I don't want to glorify it too much. It might sound corny and ridiculous, but uh, there were only so many of us, and mm-hmm. I was one of them, and I'm really grateful for it. Now, you said you saw yourself and, in some of the film clips. You, oh, yeah. Now, now that's I'm, awesome. I'm definitely in there. <laughs> um, and fortunately, I was in my gold at that point, so I, uh, <laughs> you know, I was proud of that. That's great. Um, and it took a lot of work to get to that. Um, I think you said that uh, the blue was 18 bar diff. Uh, the only measure I recall in gold, I think, was the 32 bar dips. That was, a, I don't, that was, that was a ceiling performance. So it, when you went into ability grouping at La Sierra, there were three levels. There was minimum performance, median performance, and ceiling performance. And when you hit a ceiling performance in all the different tests, then you were eligible to move up to the next level. Of course, you had to have your hair cut. But, uh, and then the, the reason you got purple or gold on top of that is because of your grades. So all ceiling performance standards, grade of B or above, earns gold. So that's what you did. You, you hit the ceiling performance standards, and then you had a B average or above. And so you're able to uh, get I'd into I'd forgotten gold. that part. Yeah, there was... Act, there was act, there, and that, that's important to note because... It wasn't just physical, it was also academic, and the reports we got is that these students um, did very well in class, and they didn't have the discipline issues, and they commanded a lot of respect just by walking in, and the other students, um, you know, treated them differently. Uh, Now, it's been a great show. Before we go, though, I want to just briefly talk about the, the girls, because we've gotten a lot of questions over the years. Well, there's no girls in the program, but... We want to take this in the context of history. When you were at La Sierra in the mid-1960s, this is pre-Title IX, the girls were doing P.E., but they weren't doing the same P.E. program, and you were actually there seeing what they were doing. So can you make a couple of comments about that? Um, that's just the way that it was then, um, but you actually were there and seeing it, so that might be interesting for people to hear. Well, it was um, a subject. Um, it wasn't controversy it might have become that towards the end of my high school years and mm-hmm. certainly thereafter when the feminist movement sure uh, became you know more vocal I think then a lot of things like um, physical fitness for girls and girls sports became an issue uh, but you know it was very clear that the girls would go do their thing and we boys would do our thing and our thing had to do with color with you know rising up in the color of shorts like just becoming stronger and better mm-hmm. physically. And theirs didn't seem to have that. It was kind of mysterious. <laughs> I mean, you know, in high school, we were just trying to figure out what girls were about. And, right. And um, they were about, uh, with regard to PE, they didn't seem to be too much of, about it. Um, they did have to show up and dress, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Uh, n- interesting in the sense that so much of that doesn't happen now. Right. But, they at least had something, and the one, and I didn't know of any girls that resented it. Um, but again, I would, we were in the early six, early to mid sixties. Uh, 
but I, I I didn't know what girls could or couldn't do, and they did. You know, even soccer wasn't right. Something girls girls started to play soccer way after I came out of high school, and I think through soccer and other things, other sports, they begin to realize that they can do this stuff without sure. sacrificing femininity. Right. Um, and now we know that actually, you know, strong is the new beautiful. You know, and and uh, that the. It's interesting to see even the the images in media of uh, a female beauty have evolved to include female muscles, you know, and girls develop differently than boys, and they don't necessarily get all big and bulky. Right. They could, depending on their diet and their yeah. hormones, but they don't by nature. Mm-hmm. And so I I, um, I think it was not so good um Let's put it this way. I guess the evolution of, of um, physical fitness for females, it was just on a little different trajectory than physical fitness for males. Um, but I, I don't think it's good to have the boys step back from what they can do. Um, Based on co-ed, yeah. It just doesn't make sense to limit anybody. Right. No, and I, I, I get that, yeah. Um Interestingly, if you study the history of physical education in the late 1800s or early 1900s, the girls actually did some pretty amazing physical fitness feats as well. They were part of the program, and they did. I mean, I've I've seen the old photographs and the books, and it's amazing what women were doing. And then around the 1920s or so, they decided that those types of things weren't good for female reproduction, and then um, it fell out of vogue. Yeah, who's, who do you suppose decided that? Well, it was it was bogus, of course, because we know that the, the ladies are fully capable. Ironically, though, the last uh, na- the, the last Navy blue at La Sierra before the school closed was a was a girl, and so that to me is amazing. I don't know what the Navy blue standards were for girls, but what they were for boys meant that at any particular year. And you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I'm guessing there wasn't maybe more than one or two. Yeah, there was four. only, I think, uh, Tony Osaro would be the better source for this, but I think there was, in the history of the school, only 23. And that included 19 different test categories. And and some of these were really uh, rigorous. I mean, you had oh, to... Oh, it was hard. And uh, uh, just slide this in. These standards were, using modern vernacular, crowdsourced. In other words, yeah. they developed by just testing boys right. over time. Yeah, the mile run and, the mile run for Navy Blue was 515. I mean, you, you, have, oh, you have high school cross-country runners that can't run a 515. You had to man lift and carry a boy within 10 pounds of your body weight five miles. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is... Yeah. And this is just, you now. it wasn't a lot of boys that did that in the history of the school, but, you know, 22 or 23 boys and a girl did it. And I, I don't know, I don't have the female standards in front of me, but I'm sure they did those 19 categories with a little bit different standards. I think when Cheryl got that, she had to run the mile in 630, which is smoking fast still. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I'll, bet, I'll bet even now that if they were to reset standards today with the, with the girls' playing soccer and going to the gym, um, you know, and, and having images of uh, physically fit women in their lives on television and magazines. Mm-hmm. Stuff. There's been a real elevation in female physical performance mm-hmm. to the point now where 
I mean, I see girls doing this stuff at the gym I can't do. Right. And uh, and I know they're doing it out there in CrossFit, uh, you know, and running you know, 10Ks or whatever. They're just kicking ass. Yeah. Know? And they're not less feminine. We have uh, without uh, a doubt. <laughs> one of my. Not anywhere yeah. less feminine. They just are able, to, allowed to do this without being accused of somehow sure. being less feminine. One of my, uh... I want to say one more thing about this girl sport, too, sure. because when I look back, I didn't know anything about the politics of what was happening at La Sierra. I just knew it was a unique program. We were getting a lot of attention, and mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But um, there were some uh, world-class athletes that came to, to provide PE, mm. um, and one of them was a woman. Um, I, I call her a woman. Of course, looking back now, she's probably not more than 24 or 5 years old. Mm-hmm. She was um, an Olympic uh, runner, I think. Wow. She was just beautiful. Mm. And, I mean, all the boys were kind of like, mm-hmm. wow, who's mm-hmm. this PE coach? You wow. Know? And she was really amazing. And, and I don't know what she did for these girls, but I it occurred to me that if there's a female athlete, you know, that comes to an Olympic athlete that comes to train girls, maybe the girls are going to get into this. And I, I guess they did. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about the girls program, to be honest with you, um, because my archives were from Laprati's family. And so that was all his side of it. Um, so we don't know a lot about the girl program, except they had PE and the uh, what they did was a lot more flowing. You know, they did circular ring and archery and things like that that were very, very soft and played some sports, of course. But it, um, And we know that Laprati also, uh, he worked with the moms of the boys at night in the gym. They had a night class. We have film of that and photographs. And so they came in. And they did the calisthenic program, but it was a softer version of it because we actually have film of them teaching it and leading it, which was nice to see. And the moms were really into it. So it wasn't that Laprati ignored the women. He actually made a special place for them in the evenings uh, and brought the moms oh, that's in. That's good to hear. Yeah, and so there's a, there's a lot of little sidebars of Laprati and Lossier that uh, are really cool beyond just the boys having the eight-packs, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, Hugh, this has been a great show, and I, I hope to get in touch with more alumni that want to talk about not just the physical training of the program in the 1960s, but also the mental, um, you know, philosophical um, benefits that came out of quality physical education and what a difference that made uh, in their careers and also as parents and grandparents and uh, community leaders. So thanks for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you, Ron, for carrying the torch and, um, you know, keeping it ever bright because uh, I'm very encouraged by this conversation, the opportunity to speak to you and to see what you're doing and some some others are doing. And I, I sincerely hope that uh, we evolve. And I say we, I mean human beings on this planet, but right. if you want to just say as a nation, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. I hope that we evolve towards honoring our bodies more and getting that up to a level where you know we care as much about ourselves and our and our planet physiologically as we do about you know our money and our power 
So uh, this has been a great conversation for me, Ron, and thank you very much for having me on your on your show. Well, thank you, and as Coach Laprati would say, tremendous. <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> All right, you have a beautiful day, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Lean Braze Radio Show at theleanbraze.com. Until next time, keep moving for a noble purpose, no excuses. 